This morning we're beginning, as has already been said, an Advent series. And every time the word uh, Advent, particularly in this time of year, we automatically and immediately go to the Christmas season. Uh, but I think it's important that we understand what the word Advent means and what that means for us as followers of Christ, most especially in this season, and more importantly, in our lives overall. Uh, the word Advent simply means this. It means a coming it means uh, an arrival. It means a happening. But it's not just an event. It's not just a coming. It's not just a happening. It's a significant event. It's a significant happening. It's a significant coming that is to catalyze and is to mobilize and is to inspire a certain kind of lifestyle as a result of that advent. And in this series, we're going to use the word adventure to capture that, because we as followers of Christ, because of the Advent season, that we are called to live an adventure that is filled with excitement, that is filled with thrill, that is filled with anticipation. And it's interesting that both of the words Advent and adventure are really the same words at their root. But it's important to note as we begin this series and look at the adventure of hope today, and then over the next few weeks, the adventure of peace, the adventure of joy, and the adventure of love, that there's also another advent that is most important for us to understand, particularly as it relates to hope. But before we get to that, let's pray and ask God to lead us and guide us in our time together as we come to his word. Father, thank you so much for uh, the awesome worship that we just experienced and the awesome worship team that led us in that great uh, experience. And Father, our, our desire is that as we continue in worship, that as we continue to experience and welcome your presence, that you would teach us. Father, this morning we pray that you would awaken us to the beauty and the power of your hope. And Father, we know that in this season that is supposed to be filled with hope, marked with hope, infused with hope, that so many of us feel hopeless. And Father, I pray that as your word is spoken, that you ultimately would be teaching and that what the word needs to be spoken specifically in our context, what it means for us where we are at today, that you would make that so. Meet us where we are at. Meet us at the address of our lives right this moment in this season and in this day. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, we as Christians, we really live between two advents. The, the first advent, so to speak, is the coming of Jesus Christ. When he came to earth as a baby, incarnated himself and became a man, became a servant, ministered, and ultimately demonstrated the power and the beauty of the kingdom of God, and died on a cross for the sins of humanity, and now has ascended. But as we look at that empty cross that is lit up behind me, it also represents the reality that Christ is coming back again. He is coming back again to restore all things, as we sang, to make all things beautiful. So we've been catalyzed by the first advent that Jesus has come. But when we come to the adventure of hope specifically, 
we are looking at an advent that is to come, a coming that is yet to come that is to catalyze, is to inspire, is to motivate from the future the adventure that we are to live today as followers of Christ. I love this, uh, this quote, and that is that hope is hearing, hope is hearing the melody of the future. Faith is dancing to it now in the present. Faith is dancing to it now in the present. And I would add to that quote, and I would say this, hope is hearing the melody of the future. Faith is dancing to it now. And love is inviting people into that dance with you. So are we ready to dance? Are we ready to dance? This is a Canadian asking this question. It's not too often that we do this kind of stuff. So the adventure of hope is meant to be a dance of hope that's choreographed by the Spirit, that is choreographed by His truth, that is choreographed by our lives coming together in worship, in celebration, and wherever we find ourselves in this city and beyond. It's the dance of love because we worship and serve the Lord of the dance, which is Jesus himself. Just a couple of things about hope, because what I'd like to do today is to unpack what is that hope specifically, and how do we live that adventure in light of what that hope is. One of the scriptures that uh, I love is, this scripture from Hebrews 6, 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So whatever this hope is, what it is to do for us now is to anchor us in the midst of as Antley shared, as Antley prayed, in the midst of storms, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of frustrations, that that hope is to anchor us and hold us in place so that we can, and it's kind of the irony of all, that this anchor is to free us up to dance in the present. Another scripture, and this is one that we wrestle with, and that is from Proverbs 13, 12. That even though we go into the adventure and the excitement of it and the, and the joy of it, there is a reality that in this season, this Christmas season, that we often are confronted with hopelessness. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled, or as some translations put it, a hope fulfilled is a tree of life. My prayer, our prayer, is that every one of us walk out of this place more and more a tree of life. Experiencing, even though we won't fully experience it, until we do experience it face to face, the hope. And we're going to look at that, what that is. But we also know that hope deferred really makes the heart sick. And for some of you, it's not only that hope has been deferred, it feels like hope has been defeated, feels like hope has died, it feels like hope has been annihilated, and, and I get that. It's kind of like, and we're going to look real briefly today at the story of Abraham, hope against hope. But some of us, is we don't even have any hope against the hope that is before us. We're just hopeless. And so this morning, my prayer and my hope is that we leave this place all the more awakened to God's hope. 
And I think the Christmas season that we're in kind of gives a, a, a bit of an illustration. And I recognize that Christmas, for some people, it's just chaotic, it's just confusing. Could I just skip these next few weeks and just go right into January? Uh, but let's, let's kind of talk about it in the manner that uh, there is a sense of excitement and there is a sense of advents that we are living in between. The first advent of Christmas is that Thanksgiving arrived. The Macy Parade took place at the end of the Macy Parade. Santa Claus came down, and now Christmas season has begun. That's the first advent, so to speak, of Santa. And for us, culturally speaking, Thanksgiving is often a season just to kick things off for the Christmas journey ahead of us. I mean, for us as a family, I mean, Thanksgiving happens, and then it's set up the Christmas tree, set up the Christmas lights, get everything decked out in our place, which kind of helps the JEA budget this month because of all the lights that are lit up. Now, some of them are battery-powered, so that kind of helps. But, I mean, we, we have members in our family that just love Christmas, and I love that about our family members, that they just go to town. So, we set up the Christmas tree. Why? Because we are anticipating that December 25th is going to come. And on that day, we're going to gather around that Christmas tree as a family, and we're going to give gifts to one another. So we start buying gifts now. And so presents are beginning to kind of emerge and be wrapped around the tree. Now, those gifts won't be open yet, but we're starting to behave. We're starting to act in such a way because Thanksgiving kicked us off. Santa came down the Macy's Parade and said, Christmas is now a reality, move towards experiencing it fully on the 25th. And for us, it's also a sense of anticipation because we have a son, Matthew, daughter-in-law, Jenny, and they're going to be visiting us this Christmas from Michigan. Last year, we got to share them for Thanksgiving, but the other in-laws got them for Christmas. So we get them for Christmas this year. So there's a sense of excitement, there's a sense of anticipation, and we're looking forward to it, even in the midst of stress and chaos and family stuff that goes on during Christmas, that we're looking forward to that, and it influences and it shapes our behavior in the now. And I think that's a kind of an analogy, an illustration, if you just kind of take away all the stress of Christmas and say, that's what it's about as Christ followers. One day, December 25th is going to arrive. We've got the Christmas tree, the true Christmas tree, lit up right there. And there'll be one day when Jesus comes... And then we will be able to open all the gifts that he has for us. And what are those gifts? What are those blessings? Well, let's find out what that is all about. What is that Christmas day, that 25th, that we are looking forward to as Christ followers? That final advent, that coming of Jesus Christ. He won't be coming in a sleigh. He won't be coming with reindeers. But he is coming. And he's coming back. And he's coming back to do something glorious and beautiful. Let's find out what that is. Two passages that I want us to kind of walk through, and both of them happen to be in the book of Romans. Let's look at the first one, Romans chapter 8, 18 to 25, to unpack what is this hope that is there before us in the future, and that is to create for us as we understand it, as we are awakened to it, an adventure of hope today. I consider, and this is Paul speaking, 
I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We wait for it patiently. Let me say a few things about these verses, and there's so much in there, and we can't cover it all today. But what we have here is Paul giving a picture, using words like coming freedom, coming liberation, coming redemption, and other words that are used throughout Scripture, reconciliation, restoration, that the hope that we all get to experience in Christ is this hope that one day all things will be made beautiful. One day all things will be restored to the way they were originally made by God. The scriptures say elsewhere that all things in heaven and on earth will be reconciled, will be restored, will be rescued. So whatever is broken, whatever is wrong, whatever is messed up, whatever is hellish in your life right now, will one day be annihilated, will be obliterated, and all things will be made beautiful. I, I can't, and we have to capture that beauty. Even though we can't fully see it, because it is yet to come, and Jesus doesn't say some things or certain things. It's like all things, all things will be made beautiful. Things are ugly now. I get it. Things are frustrating now. I understand it. That's why Paul uses the analogy of groaning and of childbirth. Now, unfortunately, probably only half the population in this room will really understand that. And that's women. But there's something here that I think that is important for us to understand. That when that day comes, and Revelation talks about it, where there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more need for hospitals, there will be no more need for prisons, there will be no more need for Teletubbies, there will be no more need for hunger and anything like that. It will all be, there's no need. There is no need for it because of what Christ will do. What does that mean to live the adventure of hope now, of a hope that we do not fully see, that is yet to come, and that all things will be restored? And I think that in this chapter, Romans 8, it's significant that Paul uses this analogy of childbirth, the sense of groaning, the sense of yearning, a sense of anticipation. And, I mean, let me use the illustration of pregnancy and, and childbirth. I think there is something about 
the preparation, the pregnancy process that prepares you as parents for the parenting process and the journey that is ahead. Yes, pregnancy is the space in which God creates a beautiful baby. From conception forward, life has begun, and God develops that in the womb. And there's a preparation there for that baby to be born and to become a person that lives outside of the womb. And as a mother can attest, yes, there's lots of groaning, there's lots of pain. But imagine if, and I was thinking about this, and I was going, well, actually, this might backfire on me, but you'll see how it'll backfire on me here. I thought it was a great illustration, but it was this, that if a husband and wife said, we are going to have a kid, so husband and wife, conceive, have a baby, next day, there's the baby. Now, some women are going, I think that's a great idea. I'd love for that to be the way to do it. But there is a sense of preparation in that they're not quite ready. So that nine-month period is a sense of preparing us for what is to come. It's creating the capacity to enjoy and to appreciate what is to come, and that is a fully-born child. Similarly, I think that we, as followers of Christ, are in a sense in this womb, this kind of spiritual womb here on earth, and that God will one day birth full redemption, full beauty, full reconciliation, full healing, but at this point in our lives, we are not prepared to fully enter into that and experience that fully. We do not yet, I believe, have the capacity to do that, so through this period of suffering, through this period of groaning, through this period of childbirth that we called life, or pardon me, pregnancy, gestation that we called life, is actually preparing us to give us the capacity to enjoy what is to come. Now, for some of us, we wish that was only eight months. For some of us, it's an entire life of 30 years, 40 years, 70 years, 80 years. But that's what hope is all about. And how do we help cultivate that? How do we help each other be awakened to that hope? That we constantly need to remind ourselves of that hope. It's kind of like a weight training. Not weight training this way, but weight, W-A-I-T, weight training. And it's interesting to note that as we wait for what is to come, and what is to come empowers us to live the adventure, to live that dance now, that the waiting in Scripture, particularly in the Hebrew Scriptures, the word wait is the same word that is used for when a woman is pregnant. And so when you're waiting, you think, man, this has never happened. Is this ever going to happen? And we're going to look at kind of specific hopes that God wants to give each and every one of us. There's the ultimate cosmic, universal, global hope that God will make all things beautiful and that we will enter into that and that we will experience that in its fullness. That's glorious. That's beautiful. And, and, and I hope that in some ways that in this season that we're, we're shaken, we're awakened to that reality all the more and live a life in light of that reality, in light of that coming. One more scripture from Romans. And this is the story of, of Abraham. The story of Abraham. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead. 
since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's room was also dead, yet he decided not to waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Now, there's one thing about Scripture that I love that as, you know, Scripture is on this trajectory that is ultimately fulfilled in Christ, and it's about expressing and, and revealing to us the love of God and what that love is all about. And one of the things, and you've heard me say this a lot, that, that love uh, keeps no record of wrongs. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, when I look at this, I see this happening in this Scripture. Because if you know the story of Abraham, you know, Paul is saying he didn't waver in his faith. I think he wavered a little bit in his faith, if you know the story. Because if you remember, and you go back to the story, Abraham was getting a little impatient. Sarah was getting a little impatient because they said, this son of yours, this, this boy that's going to be birthed, will be the catalyst to the next generation and ultimately to the nation of nations. Now, for those of you who know the story, what, what, what did Abraham and Sarah do? They tried to speed up the process. And, and how did they speed up the process? Uh, what? But yeah, he, she, I'm going to sleep with my maidservant, and we're going to expedite this process. You know, we're going to, you know, FedEx this process, so to speak, because uh, I'm dying, Sarah's dying. And what I love about this verse is that it says, he didn't waver in his faith. I think that was more than a waver, don't you think? I think that was more than a waver. But the, the, the beauty of it is that Paul you know, through Christ, in Christ, and by the understanding of what love is, can say, without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Now, what we see here, and that was just an aside, kind of a freebie, what we see now here is that Abraham and Sarah hope against hope. And I think there's, there's, there's an illustration because some of us may have, it may not be like the call of Abraham, but I think that as we look back to this cosmic hope that we will all experience and then kind of zoom into our individual lives, that there, we feel like as we read Scripture, as we hear God, as we develop relationships, all that kind of stuff, that sometimes God gives specific promises to us. And, and we're at a place right now where we're saying, God, I think you have failed me. I think you have failed me. And I think it's only when we get to the border the borderland of that kind of thought, God, I think you have failed me. We don't cross it. Now, some of us may have crossed it, and that's okay. But I think it's only then that we begin to experience the dynamics and the way that God wants to operate in our lives because only can we experience and be persuaded that the promises of God are true, but there are seasons where we will go hope against hope, that we will really, really doubt God. But there's a part of us that goes, there is something inside of me. It's minuscule. It's so tiny. Uh, and sometimes I can't see it that still believes that there is something that is going to happen, that this promise that he made, that this, this thing that we've been praying for for 20 years or 30 years, that it's somehow going to happen, but it's so small that somehow it just gets clouded over 
by, by just this, this storm of darkness and doubt and frustration and anger. And we go, God, when are you going to do it? I think that it's in that place, in that moment, when we acknowledge that God will prevail, that we're getting closer and closer to what God wants to do for us. Is my sense and has been my experience. Just want to close off on this, uh, this, this illustration from my own life. And again, there's so much that could be said about hope uh, that we could go on and on and on and on. But it goes back to when I was 1990, 1998, something like that. Uh, my wife and I and our kids were involved in a church plant and decided to you know, move on from that. And for those of you who've been church planters, uh, know that that can, that can take you out. I mean, that can just take you out, unfortunately, because it, it, it's tough. It's tough. And so we were in this season that, uh, you know, I was stepping down from my role as a pastor in this particular church. We're just going to, for a season, just, you know, do some regular work, uh, normal work, quote, unquote. And, uh, and at the same time, there was a sense that God had deposited in me, deposited in us, a, a hope for the future. And that I remember I was in bed one night, and we were up in Canada, and it was as if God, I mean, it wasn't like his voice just kind of became clear. I mean, it was clear, but it wasn't audible. It was a sense that I, I am leading you to a different nation. Kind of like the call of Abraham, kind of out of Cain, so to speak. And we know at the time, so I, where's that going to be? I, I don't know. Uh, Great Britain, I mean, part of the Commonwealth, Australia, being Canadian and so forth. So had no idea. Uh, but at the same time, you know, just going through a lot of uh, misunderstanding in my own mind, frustration about identity, calling who I am, my role, uh, just lots of things were swirling and, and feeling in a lot of ways, you know, hopeless about the future. And I remember reading an article uh, by another pastor. He was sharing his journey and he said something about two years. And I felt in that moment, God said, this journey that you're going to take is going to be a two-year journey until, you know, what I have for you. This, this, this crossing, this, this new nation thing. And I went, crap, two years, two years. Uh, that is, uh, and if you don't like the word crap, I'm sorry, but it, uh, it's better than the other one, I assure you. And that's maybe what I said in my mind internally. And so I just, I was, I was just kind of uh, discouraged because I also sense this is the worst clarity that this is going to happen. It's going to take this amount of time you know, a two-year journey. And I remember uh, during uh, about a year into that journey, and we were, we were or I was, you know, uh, having interviews with other churches, and things were starting to come in, actually, from the United States. And, but I was at a place that I was just completely exhausted. I mean, I, 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 I was hopeless. And I remember, you know, in our townhouse on, uh, what was it, Stock, Stockwell? What was it, Stockton? Stock, Stock something. Something. What's that? Stone Ridge. There was Stone Ridge at the bottom in our, in our kind of uh, room. And I remember just sitting there and going, God, I, I am completely spent. I am completely empty. I've got nothing. And the only way that I'm going to get through this or move forward is that you've got to ignite some hope. You've got to give me some grace. You've got to give me something because I don't have anything. I'm empty. I'm spent. Exactly two years later, January 1999, is when uh, we stepped down from the church plant 
June 2001, I received a call uh, to go down to Seattle, Washington to be a part of a church where my wife and I were there for 10 and a half years. Uh, sometimes you just gotta wait, and sometimes it's longer than two years. Sometimes it's 20, sometimes it's 30, and sometimes you wonder, is it ever gonna happen? But even in the midst of those things that are individual promises for you or senses that you have, you can step back and be guaranteed of the fact that for us all, that all things one day for certainty will be made beautiful. And because of that, we are called to an adventure to help make things beautiful today and now. Let's stand and pray. Father God, we just pause now uh, before we move into our time of ministry just to allow your word to soak deeper into our hearts, deeper into our minds, deeper into our souls. Father, we do want to be a people that are marked by hope, by the dance of hope. Father, we pray that you would continue to open our eyes, awaken us to that hope, that blessed hope, a hope that will never spoil, a hope that will never fade, a hope that will never be destroyed, but a hope that will indeed become a reality. So whatever that means for us, Father, I pray, Spirit, move. Spirit, have your way. Continue to lead and continue to guide us. Let your word reign. Let your word become all the more alive for us this season. 